Hi everyone, this episode of the Blockchain Lawyer is really special. It's not about law, it's about sustainability in blockchain. Anthony Day from IBM comes on the show and tells us how we can create a better world with the help of blockchain technology. This was a really inspiring interview for me, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I do. Welcome to the Blockchain Lawyer, a podcast on technology and law. Dennis Hilleman is an accomplished lawyer with over 13 years of experience and a passion for creating a better future through blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive innovations. All statements expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the host and his guests only and are in no way legal or financial advice. And now, here is your host, Dennis. Hi, everyone. This is Dennis speaking. Before we head into the interview, I want to recommend to you to join the Blockchain Lawyers Network. It's a social network running on money networks where lawyers, entrepreneurs, and blockchainers from all over the world connect and discuss blockchain and regulation. We discuss matters like blockchain and privacy or the regulation of cryptocurrencies. I'd love for you to join. It's totally free. If you want to join, go to www.blockchainlawyersnetwork.com. That's one word, blockchainlawyersnetwork.com. Or you can also reach the network via the blockchain.lawyer. So either www.blockchainlawyersnetwork.com or the blockchain.lawyer. Happy to see you there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of A Blockchain Lawyer. My name is Dennis Solomon. I'm glad you're with me. Today, I've got a great guest, a blockchain partner from IBM, Anthony David. I've been connecting with in the last weeks and who's been like a total support for everything that I do myself and who's shooting out great content on LinkedIn all the time. Hello, Anthony. Great you're on the show. Dennis, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, real pleasure to be here with you. Um, congratulations, actually, on your last episode, episode 31. Um, you guys are doing great work, and to get to 31 podcasts already, I don't know how you find the time, um, but I, I found your, your podcast on GDPR with Olga um, particularly insightful, uh, you know, really good in terms of breaking down and using uh, examples that are relatable to the non-lawyer, uh, and also always delighted to see more lawyers um, being involved in the blockchain space. Uh, we definitely need your help. Anthony, thank you so much for the compliments. Um, they all go to Olga because she's been the expert on it. So before we flatter each other for too long, tell us a little about yourself. Who are you and what are you doing and how did you get into blockchain? So uh, I work at IBM. Um, very recently joined. Um, before that, I worked at a company called Deloitte, uh, where I worked in the uh, EMEA blockchain team for them. My background primarily is a, is a digital strategist. Um, so people often ask, how did I get into blockchain? Um, I'm not a developer. I'm not technical. Um, my interest in blockchain and, and in business more specifically is helping clients and organizations make difficult choices around technology. Uh, and that, that is only even more interesting in the blockchain space because rather than looking at technology investments for individual companies, you know, whether that's front-end, analytics, integration, um, core platforms. With blockchain, you're making technology decisions on a much, much wider level. Uh, you're looking at commercial models. You're looking at incentive models, uh, scaling strategies. 
at sometimes an industry-wide level or an international level. Uh, and so from a strategic perspective, that's interesting, interesting and complex. And complex. Uh, from a, um, from a, a, a consulting perspective, it requires multiple different domains to work together, technology, strategy, risk, regulation, the law. It's one of the most interesting places to, to be a professional today. And that's what, that's what, keeps, me, uh, that's what keeps me going. Cool. And what do you like particularly about blockchain? So I think it's a particularly diverse domain. But the interesting thing for me is that actually you can draw a lot of analogies uh, across sectors or across examples. So where you're seeing particular challenges being solved in one industry, whether that be related to identity or fraud or transparency, traceability, you know, what platforms can work for a company in oil and gas can equally work for a bank or what can work for an automotive company can work for a food manufacturer. And in the world we live in today, and, and we'll get into this a bit more, is you're seeing silos of thinking, um, you know, narrow perspectives on what's possible with technology, that actually if you can have somebody who can take a wider view, um, you can bring great examples across sectors or even bring sectors together to, to address you know, global significant problems. Uh, and that's, that's really interesting to me. Thank you very much. And when you talk about global problems, I noticed that you're posting a lot about sustainability and social impact on LinkedIn. And you've been also, if I'm not correct, um, please tell me, you've been also speaking on that lately. Why are you interested in these topics? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's it's something that's generally on, on a lot of people's minds, both individually uh, and some of the clients that I work for. Uh, from a personal perspective, you know, a little bit about me. Um, obviously, I work in, in a relatively emerging technology, so I, I would consider myself to be, uh, you know, a, a fast follower of many things. I'm, I'm flexitarian. I drive an electric motorcycle. I use plastic-free toothpaste. You know, I am pretty much the archetypal middle-class climate activist, right? I'm not out there on the uh, I'm not out there with Greta you know, on the boat, uh, striking from work or school. I'm not having that kind of impact, but I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, and actually, you know, in the position that I have in, in work or, or in social media or wherever it, wherever it is, you know, I have the opportunity to help people see the bigger picture or to help influence people to create a positive outcome. And I think what we're going to talk about today is, is a number of examples of where we can do that. Um, but I'm also the father to, uh, to two beautiful children. And... What I want is that, you know, 30 years from now, you know, they're looking at the world the way I do in terms of, you know, unconstrained opportunity, positivity, rather than uh, for lack of effort or for lack of you know, collective um, you know, involvement, they're standing uh, and, and you know, looking on the brink of an irreversible catastrophic situation where the planet and the environment that they live in um, is no longer and can no longer be uh, the way it is today. Um, you know, and, and can't be saved. And that would be a, a tragedy on a mass scale. And so my responsibility to them and to everybody you know, who I have the opportunity to influence is to try and, you know, take some action against the, the situation we find ourselves in today. Um, I don't want to get don't too deep on that, but, um, you know, it really is, it really is a bad place to be. <laughs> I took, I can only agree. Of course, sustainability matters to us all. And We can't look away from the challenges that we see today and from the effects that climate change and many other uh, things are um, have on the world, overpopulation, waste problems. And so I can absolutely agree. And you also talked, if I'm correct, um, about 
blockchain and sustainability and its social impact. How do you see blockchain play actually into this field of keeping the of making the world better and keeping it, as you said, healthy and beautiful for our children? So, I mean, I want to come out you know, first first off with saying that I, you know I don't think blockchain in isolation is uh, is the technology that's going to make all of the difference, but it's one of them. Right? We talk about exponential technologies, and and there's, there's a lot in there's a lot in that. Right? There are many different capabilities that we have available to us today that can help us drive change. What I think is particularly interesting about blockchain is that the, the models through which we deliver it, the ecosystems that we create, the networks. Um, we've learned a lot in the last two or three or four years about getting companies, governments, individuals to work together, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, we we exist in pretty exceptional times today. The pace, pace of change in our world will never be slower than it is today, right? Moore's law, the acceleration of uh, a number of the factors we talked about. Um, you know, at the same time, we've never had so much capa capacity and capability as a human race, right? In terms of what we're able to do, um, we've put men on the moon. We've, uh, you know, we've got as far as Mars. We've created wonderful artificial intelligence. We've uh, been able to do a number of different things technologically and as a species. But at the same time, at this exact juncture, we've never probably been in greater danger. Um, and the damage that we're doing, as you said, is accelerating. If you look at things like um, population growth, if you look at the socioeconomic factors, uh, you know, in terms of fertilizer consumption, transportation, um, you know, urban populations, water use, these things are not growing in small, in small increments. They are growing exponentially. Um, you know, a slide that I like to use called the Great Acceleration, you'll see all of these socioeconomic trends moving in an exponential curve. Um, and, and the flip side of that is for all of the socioeconomic trends that we see, there is an Earth system impact of all of those different trends in terms of carbon dioxide production, nitrous oxide production, methane, in terms of um, tropical forest loss. Um, you know, there are a number of rapidly accelerating, highly damaging um, situations that we find ourselves in. And, you know, the real fact is that small incremental change isn't going to help us reverse that. Let me give you another example. So as we think about exponentials, I'm going to use that term a lot, but I think it's important. A lot of the narratives that we see or the statements or the promises that we see making being made are things like, you know, carbon neutral by 2050, right? That's 30 years away. And while it's instinctively that already feels like it's a long way away, The situation is actually a lot worse than that, right? So let me give, let me give the example here. So um, actually, let's talk about 2030. So 10 years from now, you know, in terms of linear steps, that's relatively easy to understand. We can visualize that. We can see, you know, where am I going to be 10 years from now? Or 10 years from now, I can pretty much figure out what that might look like. It's not so far away as to be intangible. You know, I might have a plan for retiring or, you know, how old my children will be or 10 years back. I can relate to that. You know, the linear steps are fairly simple uh, and, and easy to relate to. But if we talk about exponentials, right, instead of going one, two, three, four, we're talking one, two, four, eight. Instead of, you know, 10, 10 years from now or 10 steps from now, we don't get to 10 in exponential terms, we get to a thousand. Let me amplify that a little bit. So go back to our 2050 uh, situation. If we look at exponential growth over 30 years, or 30 exponential steps, we get to over a billion, right? So we've gone from one to a thousand to a billion in 30 years if we grow exponentially. And the longer we wait to act, the greater the damage that we're doing to our planet, our society. And at some point that's going to become irreversible. 
So sadly, so sad- you know, incremental changes, linear improvements is not going to move the dial. And the longer we wait to make those changes or to make significant impacts, the greater the exponential impact that is happening on our world around us. And as I said, we are running out of time. Wow. Um, it, it somehow gives me like goosebumps when you save it, because really in our everyday life, with our everyday routine, with the stress we have with work, with, with uh, dealing with everything that happens to us today. I mean, a lot of us get like probably like 200, 300 emails every day um, from little things to big things. And whenever, and of course we see that on the media about climate change and all of all the youth fighting for it, but we never actually see it as quite clear, at least me not personally, you do now when you tell me that. Of course, that makes a lot of sense that we see this exponential uh, growth of the dangers and Wow. Okay, that that gets me a lot thinking now um, on a on a very political and social level. But now I'm gonna nail you down again. How does blockchain play into this field? I hear you. I I don't want to get too deep on this. All I really want to land there is the concept of time and the speed at which things are changing. And in order to reverse this sort of trends, um, as I said, incremental initiatives or or small you know small small factor change is not going to move the, move the dial. We need to try and work to create a much greater impact. You know, we need to move away from um, you know, fear of scarcity, right? scarcity of resources, scarcity of land, scarcity of time to act, um, and manifesting you know, the idea of abundance. How do we create a surplus of things like food, energy, talent, data, capability, to try and reverse the trends that we're looking at today? How do we move faster? And you know, the challenge that I see, and this is relatable to blockchain, don't worry, I'm going to get to the punchline, um, is that the people and the structures that we have today kind of get in the way. You know, every individual, every leader, every person within a position to influence has some degree of you know, the way that they think about the world in one, two, three, fours, you know, in incremental terms, short-term objectives, siloed thinking, thinking about the influence that they can make only within their own organization or within their own lives, rather than trying to take a bigger picture. Right? And there are plenty of passionate technologists evangelizing the potential of blockchain, AI, cloud, quantum computing. Now, the dirty secret here is that blockchain will not save the planet. We will, as people, as, people, as collectors. Collect- Very good. So, Very so, good. Can only agree. Go on, please. So, so where this fits and the learning that I've seen and what I'd like people to take away from this from a blockchain perspective is actually not so much about the blockchain and the technology that we have in terms of what it can do and how it works, but actually how it's transforming and how its effect is being felt in terms of the establishment of things like business networks, consortia, or the ecosystems around this network technology. Right? So blockchain is a network technology that brings together ecosystems, different parties to collaborate, to share data, to validate activity, to validate identity, to provide security, and to do do those things and to grow the network in a trusted way, in, in a way that's so far to date, uh, you know, the internet, email, portals, Excel sheets haven't been able to do, or at least haven't created a construct in which we can do these things. And that ecosystem, that network thinking, I think is very important. And it's an important learning of what we've been able to achieve. You know, so we can we can grow industry wide or cross industry platforms that can help us to transform or re-engineer the way we do things, the way we collaborate as people, as companies, as governments, whether that's in food, healthcare, automotive, finance, government. You know, 
this type of thinking and, and the technology we have in blockchain and DLT is applicable to any sector. And we can see plenty of examples of that. You know, traditional competitors, uh, industry peers, governments investing and working together to create what ex essentially exists as global startups, right? Startups that can scale from the get-go because you've already got critical mass of industry participants or the consumers that those companies serve or the population that that government represents as, as they bring their capabilities or their scale to the party. So you look at things like WeTrade, TradeLens, B3i, Mobi, Energy Web Foundation, the Hyperledger projects, Enterprise Ethereum Alliance. Um, all of these groups have some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, biggest organizations in the world, uh, you know, and the open source community as well, supporting them to work on specific challenges, specific opportunities that are meaningful to them. So if you started with a blank sheet of paper and you knew that you could bring together some of the world's largest organizations to work together with a technology to help enable drive change or to transform the way things are done, what would you ask them to focus on? Right? And that's, that's the question. The learning here is that we can create these ecosystems. We can create these networks. We can scale technology very, very quickly and bring the influence of the incumbents in certain sectors or certain environments together. Challenges, where do you look? Right? And we're talking today broadly about sustainability and social impact. So there's a few different places you can look for that. Before you go into any, I, w I would like to hear some examples of you, but before you go into this, I can totally agree on that, but doesn't it require a mind change from leading people, be it either in companies, be it on a political level, in administrations or in NGOs, because you said it quite right. Everybody has their own horizon, their own, their own things that they care about, be it like a US president saying, make America great again, be it the European Union that wants to rope climate neutral until 2050, but also wants to really keep the European Union together, be it China that wants to evolve as an economical and political leader, and of course, all the NGOs that play their own roles. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that regardless of the great technology that we have now, we also need a change of mind like you just lined out? 100%, and that's, that's exactly sort of what I'm trying to espouse here, is saying that we, we have a technology that can, that can enable that sort of collaboration. In order to scale a network or to address these sorts of problems, there, there are a number of underlying factors you have to have. You know, first thing is a common goal or a common objective. So it can't be that it's anti-competitive or it happens to trample on one of the participants' major source of competitive advantage. It has to be a shared common goal or a common enemy. Right? I think everybody can agree that identity fraud is probably a bad thing for society. You know, any bank would work together and say, yes, we, we don't want any fraud within our situation. Governments could all, generally speaking, agree that prosperity, reducing hunger, reducing waste in our, in, our, in, our, in our supply chains or in our in our society are critical issues to face. But in the current way we're constructed, you see different organizations represent a single or a small number of steps in those particular value chains. And we need to think end to end. So it, it doesn't work if you don't have that shared common goal. And it is possible, and you know, what, we're, what we're preaching here, is that you can do that with the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. Because right? you know, let's, let's be clear, be... A, lot of the, 
private sector organizations and even governments we work with are not charities. You know, they are not bottomless pits of money who can afford uh, to invest endlessly on particular initiatives. They're there for profit. So we can try and do that. And we need to orchestrate in a way that there can be a commercial objective alongside people and profit. I, I like that. That sounds totally reasonable. Do you, can you give our listeners some examples of such projects and maybe line even a little bit out how they use blockchain? Absolutely. Um, so you know, first things first, as you're looking down particularly social impact um, and, and climate-related issues, there's, there's a couple of places to look for you know, what, are, what are those kind of common goals or what are those common issues. The, the UN Sustainable Development Goals are really interesting, really good list of 17 different areas. That's, you know, within each of those, you can look for uh, domains or themes against which these sorts of initiatives could sprout. Um, even better than that, and one thing that I really love, is a, a, a company called Project Drawdown, or it's a website called Project Drawdown that actually has a list of the top 100 areas in which if we focus, we could start having a greater impact on reducing, um, reducing uh, CO2 emissions. Uh, or the impact of climate change. And if you look down even to just the top 10, you look at materials management, reducing food waste, um, education, uh, renewable resources, uh, renewable energy, as some of those major programs, is saying that actually, if we were able to double down on some of those particular domains, we could have a meaningful, significant impact in terms of re reduction of cost or reduction of atmospheric CO2. So back to the punchline. Some of the examples that I like in those particular domains, if we talk about reducing food waste, if we talk around renewable resources, if we talk about um, you know, reduction of plastics, uh, solar energy, um, I'll, I'll kind of go through some of my favorites. Um, so you know, obvious and first example, but it's obvious and it's good because it's actually quite close to commercial reality today. Um, so Food Trust, IBM Food Trust is working with a number of different food supply chains and retailers to get better transparency around you know, from farm right through to the consumer, the activity that happens to those particular products, whether that's the farm conditions at the front end, trying to reduce um, disease, trying to reduce the dwell time of products within supply chain um, to primarily reduce waste, to give consumers better confidence in the products that they, uh, they are consuming, and to get better data end-to-end -to, -end to help better enable that food supply chain for, for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, that can be transparency, that can be sustainability, that can be reduction of waste, all driven by, you know, firstly, data and connectivity. If we can understand and see what's happening in our supply chain, um, then we can better control what's happening. Take that to a second level and you can look at you know, beyond just uh, tra transportation of product um, conditions or context. So if you look at cold chain specifically, there's a huge, huge amount of waste, billions of dollars of waste on cold chain um, products because the conditions that they're transported in and, and the dwell time and when they arrive and the handoffs between one particular um, stage in the supply chain and another, if the conditions aren't correct, you can have a higher risk of disease, you can have spoilage of food products. And, and we can monitor these things today. You know, the cost of IoT, the cost of putting temperature sensors within packaging or within vehicles is becoming more acceptable and easier to adopt. And the business case for this is much, much, much clearer now, is saying that actually we're trying to improve quality, brand reputation, but also reduction in um, food-based illnesses and reduce waste of products, right? So we're doing people, planet, and profit all in one, in go. one go. Absolutely. And I think, um, if, if I just can reply to that, I think that many companies that, for example, or especially the food companies today understand 
that the, that the customers will look more at sustainability in the future. Like, for example, in the Western world, we've got quite some money when we go shopping. So we can maybe distinguish between different, uh, different offers of food, between not only price and quality, but also if this food was either produced or transported in a very sustainable way. And so sustainability might become a factor in the customer's um, uh, purchasing. Uh, do you agree on that? 100%. And there's, there's data to support this. I, I don't have a statistic to hand, but certainly in terms of the um, you know, Gen Z, Gen X, millennial groups, um, you're seeing, uh, and, and I'll try and get you a link to the survey, but uh, an IBM consumer survey that came out about two or three months ago said that specifically the sustainability of brands is one of the key decision drivers. And I think you're only going to see that increase. I, you know, I don't see that trend going backwards. But again, you know, from a commercial perspective, that's another, that's another good reason for private sector organizations to say there, there is an additional benefit here that we can talk to. Um, I want to give a shout out to another organization called Food Cloud, um, who IBM are working with here in Ireland. Uh, they are a UK and Ireland-based organization that actually works with charitable groups to redistribute food from retailers, um, you know, working with some of the largest guys like Aldi, Lidl, Tesco, um, to, to make sure that food isn't wasted at the other end of the, other end of the spectrum. So you can continue um, to get an addressable market, even if it's not you know, the commercial customer. Charities can do an awful lot with, with redistribution of food products. And again, at that end of the supply chain, it's critical to have visibility on the freshness of that produce and what's happened because there's even, even greater risk as you get closer to the end of life um, for, for there to be uh, you know, disease or implications of, of that food going to waste. So um, full end to end, right through from farm to, to the other end of the spectrum. Um, um, another example that I want to give is, is a collaboration that we're doing with Yara. Um, so Yara have created uh, with us an open data exchange for farm and field data. So again, using a number of different technologies, blockchain being one of them, to say we want to gather um, you know, either anonymized um, or distributed data from different participants in the agricultural value chain. That doesn't have to be the farmers themselves, right? That's, there's a number of challenges specifically around um, you know, technology enablement in farms, the costs of that. You know, te technological capability, um, but also things like you know, weather stations, logistics companies, um, data companies. You know, there are a number of different parties who can provide inputs to help us to get more out of the productivity of the land that we have. Um, you know, so there's, there's a big initiative there to try and increase um, production, try and increase output, try and reduce waste, try and reduce disease. Uh, and there's a number of different companies who are doing some wonderful, like incredible technology around looking at the, the farm biomes, looking from a, a satellite imagery perspective, looking from a drone imagery perspective on um, the implications for how to manage um, food agriculture. Yeah, really, 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 really interesting platform. Still in its, in its nascency, um, but I think there's a, lot, there's a lot more we can do. One, let, me, let me ask you about one thing about the last platform. Um, how do farmers react to uh, that? Are they open to the idea? So I, I think it's, it, it, the platform itself is intended for, for them to be one of the main beneficiaries, right? So I think there's, there's, a, there's an element of quid pro quo here, which says that you know, we'd like you to participate. Uh, and if you are getting access to a significant um, volume of resources that can help you manage your, your, your crops, your yields, your outputs, um, 
you know, I haven't spoken to uh, specific farmers on, on on the platform, but you know, I would say that if you're if you're looking at having a, a, a platform like that, it's capability you would never have before. Uh, and obviously, those who are working with Yara as well will be, you know, some doing trials, some being involved. Uh, I can't see it being a negative. Awesome. It's just I'm just asking because sometimes it's hard to explain blockchain to people, be it company leaders, be it people in the public sector or even NGOs. And sometimes they also think that blockchain is a hype just driven by Bitcoin investment. So at times I wonder, how do you sell the story of blockchain? Um, I don't know. Do you, how do you do that? If I can, if you have any hint, how, what do you tell people about blockchain? Do you explain it really in detail or do you tell the bigger story? So I think the, the way to talk about blockchain is not to talk about blockchain. You know, I think <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I will, yeah, awesome. Totally agree. Um, and, and this is something that may feel a little bit contradictory of somebody who works in blockchain. But actually, generally speaking, people who are working with us on some of these sorts of engagements don't really care about how it's delivered. They care about the fact that it creates outcomes. Right. So if I'm talking about food trust, I'm not there to talk about the power of the distributed ledger and how we can generate consensus and share information in a trusted or, or in an anonymous way or how we can create uh, automation of activity through a smart contract. What I want to say is you know, the transparency element of this is meaningful to, to your customers. The supply chain optimization part of this is, is, is valuable to your bottom line and also to, to your customers in terms of redu reduction of waste. Uh, you know, the reason why we why we can do it more efficiently or why we can do this more securely or in a safer way today is because we have uh, a structure for managing data or for generating automation. But once you get down to that second level, you're probably then just talking to technology architects. The propositional side of this, the, the value side, the outcome side of this is the much, much more important way to, to lead in with the conversation. So my guidance to anybody working in blockchain is don't tell people how it works tell people what it will do. Awesome. I can only agree on that because I've seen so many presentations from startup which were so technical and I, you could even like see how every listener drove, drove away in their mind because nobody cares about or at least not the general public doesn't care about all the technical details. I'm always like uh, when we first met I told you how I explain blockchain to people. I do it the same way, but I don't actually explain it fully, but more what you can do. And I always come up with the example like, I don't actually know how my refrigerator works, but I still get cold beer out of it. And that's the cool thing about it. So the blockchain, I think it's the same. We shouldn't tell people how it actually wor works in all details, but more what we can do with it. I think that's right. And look, I've been through a number of conversations with clients where you start not with saying we've got blockchain, we must use it, or the reason why is blockchain, right? The reason why at a theoretical level is that we believe there is a problem that we can only solve or that we can only address by working together you know, as a consortium or as a business network. We believe that the reason that is, is because the information or the capability or the data uh, or the access or the scale that those multiple parties have can address a much, much wider, a much, much larger problem, as, I, as we said at the beginning of the show. Now, you know, it, it's transpired that in some of those cases, actually, blockchain wasn't the most efficient technology um, to develop the platforms that they were talking about. Um, but oftentimes it is. And so we've got to start from a, a, a digital transformation perspective and say, this is an outcome or this is a transformation that we need to work on. 
We need to increase access to renewable resources. We need to reduce waste in our supply chain. We need to educate or give access uh, and identity to more people so that they can earn a living to become educated to help us manage you know, things like fraud, disease, population control. Um, there's a number of different elements to that. Um, but we don't start with because blockchain. Yeah, very true. Let us go back to the ecosystem and networks you were, you were talking about. If a listener is like persuaded, just as me from your ideas, how do we start such a network or such an ecosystem? So, I mean, that, that's a really good question. And the answer is, ideally, you start with an understanding of, of a challenge or a problem. Is saying, you know, I believe that we're going to look at specifically focusing on, I'll stick with food waste. Um, you know, we want to reduce um, food waste by 50% in Ireland by five years from now. Who are the you know, largest creators or producers of food waste? Who, you know, who needs to be in our ecosystem? What is the minimum viable ecosystem for us to start addressing that particular challenge? Um, you know, so you'd immediately look at the value chain, you'd look at the participants, and you'd say, actually, you know, is this my problem to solve? Am I one of those? Am I one of the people within that ecosystem who has a stake or who could help bring people together? You know, as IBM, a lot of what we do is work with our um, global markets colleagues, our industry um, SMEs to say, tell me about the biggest challenges that you see uh, you know, the industries you work in facing and tell me why they haven't been solved yet. And if we were able to convene a business network, a group of individuals working together, even across industry sectors, you know, it might include financial services and automotive, it might include public sector and private sector together. Um, if, we, if we can weave a narrative and create you know, both a, a people, planet, profit story around this, we've probably got a compelling case to bring something together. But then unfortunately, you know, the hard yards is, is the people, right? You've got to convene a network. You've got to bring people who are you know, most likely traditional competitors together around a table where they may or may not have ever sat together before and say, you know, we see that there's a unique opportunity. Um, this will be good for you. It will be good for your customers. It'll be good for you know, society. This is what we'd like to do. Are you in? You know, and then you go through you know, a decent amount of uh, conversation, discussion, analysis. Oftentimes, the first project in a, a blockchain or a business network engagement is nothing to do with the technology. It might be the business value case. You're saying, actually, okay, we think there is a you know, $100 million problem here. Who benefits from it the most? Therefore, who should pay? Right? We're not all philanthropists. Again, if you're working with the private sector, oftentimes you know, they'll say, well, show, show me why I should pay for something that somebody else benefits from. And so actually the, the economics um, of the ecosystem is really, really important. Another group that you have to have in the room oftentimes will be the lawyers. Right? Not, not just because of you know, things like GDPR. Um, antitrust can often be, can a, be a, a concern. Guess. I was, I was just going to throw that in because antitrust, if like big competitors work together, we're always in the antitrust problem. Absolutely. And I'm not going to drain the point. Um, you know, that's probably a topic for another podcast. But um, you know, I know, for example, it's in the public domain on TradeLens. You know, there was an exception um, specifically around antitrust because the platform was deemed to be a utility, an industry-wide utility. You know, so you've got something like 60 or 70% of global um, container shipping sea freight going through the TradeLens platform. You know, that's, that's huge. That's very, very significant. Um, but in that instance, because of the way it was shaped, scoped, its governance, its mission, it's not seen as anti-competitive because it's an open platform and it's designed to be an industry utility. 
So we can get past those sorts of hurdles. But there are another um, n- a number of other areas such as IP, financing. Um, you know, do we need some sort of su- uh, you know sync fund for being able to afford um, what happens to the platform if five years from now we run out of funding? You know, if we need to spin down the platform, how do we manage that? Do we need to create a separate legal entity? There's a lot to it. You know, it, it gets very, very complex. Um, one thing that I want to throw in as a lawyer is um, something that concerns antitrust, but also other legal problems uh, with such platforms. From my point of view, um, so far, politics mainly think that they can change or address the climate problem with money and with making specialized law concerning um, sustainability. What I think is that we need to look at the law that we have and, we're, and ask ourselves that if in some cases, for example, the trust problem that we just hear, the antitrust problem that we're just facing, we don't need, uh, we don't need to change the law or we should change the law in a way that it allows exemptions for sustainability reasons. We, can go, we could talk about this for hours, but that's something that is maybe, that is now starts um, at least on European level, that people look at, hey, maybe we must change also our existing law in a way that it will allow for more sustainability. So maybe this whole antitrust problem that we can t- totally w- uh, work around anyhow, but will also go away in the future because of exemptions for sustainability reasons. Just my 50 cents on that. I think you make a good point, and there's nothing that can catalyze a technology initiative like regulatory imperatives. Um, you know, so so there is a role for uh, for government for regulators to help support drive what I suspect will become a bigger issue for citizens uh, and for for countries that will you know eventually you know, the imp- the in- implications or the implementation of which will fall down to the private sector to some degree, um, and ultimately this covers every sector. So if you can get regulatory support to do the right thing, if you can accelerate that and also then implement it in a way where it doesn't feel like a burden, right? We know in financial services, there's a constant burden of regulation for good reasons, um, but it, it's an ongoing challenge. If we can try and do that in a way that's, you know, again, the triple bottom line of people, planet, profit, we can architect it in a way that it's sustainable, not just in terms of our planet, but in terms of businesses and governments being able to support that sort of investment. Okay, very, very good. But it gets me really thinking, like, if it gets a listener thinking, what can they do to get involved? So I think, you know, start with the things that matter to you. Start with the things that are within your organizations, your personal, your companies, your, you know, your agencies, permission to be involved in. Um, you know, if this is still a, 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 you still need a compelling narrative, you still need a compelling problem, and you still need some degree of agency to, to make that happen. So as you're looking in your sector, in your industry, cross-tabulate the sustainable development goals, the project drawdown uh, initiatives, as you said, and say to your organization, to your CEO, to whoever matters, how is, is the work that we do as an organization supporting the sustainable development goals? Tell me how our, how our business value chain uh, or how we create value maps to how we can create value for the planet. And if you can see the intersection of what you do versus how you can help, then you can try and find and identify areas for that triple bottom line. What you're then going to need to do is to then influence others. 
right? What we do not need at this point in 2020 is more technology evangelists. We have enough of those. What we need is influencers, real influencers, not just social influencers, um, is people who can envisage the art of the possible, something that's technically viable, commercially sustainable, and good for the planet, and to convene these sorts of business networks to create um, you know, even technologies that can scale without the friction of the real world. You know, a lot of the um, tokenized business models, the ICOs, the um, you know, pure blockchain startups start with those sorts of visions in mind. And it's fantastic. The challenge that they often get into is scaling in the real world um, because the incumbents in a particular sector or the ingrained behavior or the technical lock-in of uh, consumers or businesses in a certain sector cannot be overcome just by simply launching a token uh, or stating a de decentralized philosophy. Engagement with the relevant participants, the incumbents, the consumers, the regulators is necessary to help us transform. And that's the hard yards. You know, we know that technically in 2020, all of the concepts have been proven with blockchain, right? We can hash this, we can timestamp that, we can add IoT, we can add analytics, we can host nodes wherever we like in the cloud on-prem. We've basically proven all of the concepts. We don't need any more POCs in blockchain land in 2020. We need meaningful, sustainable, scalable initiatives. And from my personal perspective, that have both a social um, and also a climate benefit. I can only agree. I just don't know where to start even. Like, I've seen so many startups with good ideas, but when they present their ideas, especially to, uh, uh, to an audience that is from that field that doesn't come from the blockchain sector, but for example, from the uh, branch of the industry that they are addressing, I notice how the audience often thinks it's a good idea, but it doesn't suit us at all with our way of doing business because the, the people in the startups are often young technicians and um, they have brilliant minds and brilliant ideas, but they don't know the industry so well. At least that's what I've seen in the past. And what you are saying is we need, if I can understand it correctly, we need to work together with blockchain startups, with the industry, maybe even with regulators, maybe with NGOs, in a specific way that both creates profit, not only for the startups, but also for the companies that will then use the technology, but driven in a way that it actually helps the industry and is not only used because it's blockchain, but it's because it offers a solution for them that creates profit and for the benefit of all offers sustainability and prevents climate change. Can, we, can I sum it up in this way a little bit? I think that's a good summary, Dennis. You know, we, we absolutely need that cross-pollination, right? What you, what you have in the kind of young and emerging developers, the enthusiastic, passionate startups of the world is, you know, they are exactly the people who have some of the biggest stake um, in the future success of the planet. Um, so it's not, it's not that they're doing it for nefarious means. Um, but, you know, the challenge is their ability to influence at scale. So that cross-pollination between startups, between governments, between large organizations, whether that's accelerators, whether that's hackathons, whether that's the any, you know, any number of ways in which you can get um, the incumbents access to that sort of thinking and capability, I think that can only be a good thing. Uh, you know, the challenge is whether you want to take that sort of strategy or, you know, as a startup, whether you want to be the pure disruptor, 
right? There are a million great ideas created every day, but you only get an Uber or an Airbnb, you know, every so many years. And their their reasons for success was not necessarily the strength of their idea. It was also their ability to scale uh, and to get success. Very, very good. Well, um, you got me thinking, and probably you got a lot of listeners thinking too. How can they reach out to you if they want to connect to you? Because obviously you are one of the influencers where we just that you were just talking about. So, you know, in terms of where, where I am most of the time, um, LinkedIn obviously is the place where I, I tend to connect and share ideas and share content. Um, you know, most of the topic that I post on is around blockchain, um, you know, more commonly sustainability and social impact. Again, trying to do my best to help raise awareness, to help promote understanding and to take the blockchain narrative away from because blockchain rather than to say, you know, how to think about scaling, how to think about networks, how to demonstrate real examples. And, and not to get too deep about the story today. You know, I know that we don't need any more, um, you know, screaming nutcases on their soapbox talking about climate change. What I'm interested in is helping to enable people to make a positive impact and do something about it based on the knowledge that we as a community have accrued, right? The good news is we have these exponential technologies working today. AI, blockchain, drones, 3D printing. The list goes on. And the good news further is that you know, things like Moore's Law apply. Our technologies are becoming more capable, more performant, faster, more accessible on an exponential basis too. So actually, you know, we're getting more examples of better tech more often. The reference examples for business networks and, and consortia and ecosystems are growing every day. Um, we're seeing genuine positive growth in the capabilities we need to do something about the situation we find ourselves in. What we need next is more people to, to influence, to understand what we have uh, in terms of the capabilities available to us, to apply those to the challenges and to create the abundance that we talked about in terms of energy, data, food, such that we don't need the, uh, the status quo way of, of managing our, our planet and our environment. And we can move away from that to a more sustainable way of doing things. Because um, ultimately, if we don't take care of the planet, Profit will be a pretty useless concept. Uh, it's one of my favorite quotes from a guy called Surya Karki, uh, who uh, spoke at Davos a couple of weeks ago. Um, that's it from me. I'll get off my soapbox, but please, guys, feel free to reach out to me. I'm very happy to share ideas, to share the work that we're doing, um, and you know, always happy to, to have more lawyers in the blockchain space. Anthony, this was so inspiring again, as usual, when I talked to you. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming on to the show. Um, I'm sure uh, I want you back on the show in the future. And really, um, anyone listening to this, follow Anthony on LinkedIn. There's always so such great content out there from him and it adds so much value to the blockchain community. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thanks, Dennis. It's my pleasure. Bye-bye for now. If you want to learn more about Dennis, please visit his website, theblockchain.lawyer, or connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, everyone. 